Good morning, church family. My name is Jacqueline Long, and I'm a ninth grader at Prince Avenue Christian School. And I'm up here to read a few verses for y'all from the book of Philippians. If you have a Bible, please turn to Philippians 4, 8 through 13. Before we read, I think it's important to know the context of what you're reading in the Bible and the audience. This is written from Paul to the church of Philippi. Paul was suffering in the church and the prison because he was sharing the gospel. But although he was suffering for God, he had an unexplainable peace and joy and love and hope. So through Jesus, we have something unexplainable and we feel things that can never be explained. So let's read. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have heard and listened and learned, received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to be abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Y'all, as we remember that, what a beautiful reading of Philippians 4. Um, We've got some awesome students in our church um, very, very thankful, Jacqueline, for your willingness to do that one. And if anybody's ever intimidated about getting baptized in the pond on the church property, they don't have to be, do they? No, nope, because that's where she was baptized. That works out well. So such a strong young lady, y'all. Very, very thankful. Um, as we man, unpack this a little bit, I, I want us to have this conversation this morning of what it means to live a life <clears throat> of contentment, a life of contentment. How can we, as followers of Christ, live in such a way to actually experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. Isn't it crazy how when we're kids or even adults, like in different stages of life, sometimes we may think, man, one day I'll get the contentment. You know, maybe when you're in middle school, like when I get to high school, everything's going to calm down. Does anybody remember that back in middle school days? Or you get to high school and get a first job or get married or buy a house. And if we're not careful, you know, we can live a lot, a large portion of our life without truly experiencing that contentment that comes from the Lord. So I got just a couple of questions I'm going to ask today and then a couple of things to share. The first, after the reading of this passage, is simple. What's on your mind? Like, what are you thinking about right now? You know the answer to that right now because it's closer to lunchtime. Preachers have always joked about that. You know, if you start talking about food, people are going to start thinking about food for the rest of the service. After my wife and I have been married for a few years, um, you know, y'all, we'd have that conversation sometimes where she would look at me, we're just watching TV or sitting on the back porch, just drinking some coffee. She'd say, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about right now? And I've got to be honest with you, there are some times when there's absolutely nothing on my mind, right? I don't know if it's just me or a guy, I don't know how that works, but sometimes when I look at her and go, I'm, I'm not thinking about anything, I'm just sitting here. What are you thinking about, you know? And I don't know what your spouse is, if you're married or somebody in your household looks like or lives like, but sometimes I'll ask her that in response. It's almost like I can watch her in her mind to say, hold on. And she opens like one of 97 filing cabinets that are in her mind and she files through and picks up this and we discuss it. Wherever you are on that spectrum of how we think and how we consider what noises are filling our minds, 
Y'all, it's kind of kind of fun to dwell on. But ask a simple question. What are you thinking about? Most of the time, what are you thinking about? What's on your mind? God promises to give us peace. He promises to give us a peace that does surpass all understanding. What does that mean? That's that idea that there will be some times in life where circumstances around us will be going one direction, but we have something truer, more grounded in our hearts and our minds that's holding us firm to the foundation. There's a peace that passes all understanding. We know that God gives us the peace. But church, we must remember that it's, sometimes it's our responsibility to, to hold on to it. When Paul's saying here, what are you thinking about? The word think he's using is more than just what's on your mind. It's more than just you're thinking about the game for a little bit or you think about where you're going for lunch. He's going a lot deeper here. He's merely opening up this idea that what is on our mind consistently, that when we take into account, begins to reflect on our conduct and on our speech and how we behave and how we act. What's constantly going on in our mind? One of the reasons in my life that I have failed to experience the peace of God for as long as God offers it is because sometimes I tend to dwell on things that are set in opposition to the peace that I'm asking for. Maybe there's a situation in your life where you're just asking the Lord, wouldn't it be good sometimes that, Lord, just give me that peace that passes understanding. Let me have contentment right here. I'm just ready, ready, ready. Maybe let's use, for example, like you're studying for like a college test, right? Like, Lord, if I could just have peace on this test, if I could have peace on this final exam that's coming up, for Lord, just go absolutely. But could it be that sometimes the Lord maybe whispers through the gentle Holy Spirit of like, have you studied? You know, have you practiced? Have you gotten ready for this? But for others, y'all, could it be that maybe in some prayers we're asking God for contentment and peace, but our mind continues to dwell on things that sometimes aren't even of the Lord. Some of us maybe dwelling on things that are in direct opposition to the peace that we're asking for. We gotta ask ourselves, whatever we're thinking about. Some guys on the way out last service said they couldn't sleep because so they were thinking about the turkey that they were you know, cooking in the Orion cooker, in the, in the cookers and stuff all night long. We gotta ask ourselves, is what we are thinking about, what we are dwelling on, are they the types of things that praise God? Does what we watch, listen to, and talk about lift him up, lift his name up? I've been reminded this last week as a prepared for this conversation with y'all that y'all don't think we can experience the peace and contentment of God while dwelling on sinful things. Paul says here, man, pay attention to what you're thinking about. Think about honorable things, lovely things, pure things, commendable things, excellent things, things that are worthy of praise. Dwell on those things. Think about those things. He's describing Christ there. He's saying, think about what Jesus has done. Think about the perfection of Christ. But to take into account, man, what am I thinking about? I would love to tell you that as a pastor or as a husband or as a man that's been a Christian and a follower of Christ for years, that contentment is something that has come easily for me in my life. But it has not been. It's something I've had to practice and learn and trust continually in. Dr. Carolyn Leaf is a neuroscientist, also a born-again believer, devout woman of faith, has this quote when it comes to things that we are thinking about, how to rework our thinking mind. She says, you cannot sit back and wait to be happy and healthy and have a great thought life. You have to make the choice to make this happen. You have to choose to get rid of the toxic and get back in alignment with God. 
you can be overwhelmed by every small setback in life or you can be energized by the possibilities they bring. I like the line there especially. It says, choose to get rid of the toxic and get back in alignment with God. How do we get back into alignment with God? Can we still trust that God's word is truthful? If so, how much time are we devoting to memorizing, studying, and meditating on it? We're partnering with missionaries in Uganda right now in the Kermajong tribe. Some of us are going back. If you're interested, y'all, we're taking another group this fall. There's 12 pastors that have been working in these churches, all local guys, that have all been believers for less than three or four years, most of them less than two years. And every Sunday, they get together with one of the pastors from America's house, and he opens his Bible, and they read a chapter of Scripture, and they read it five or six times, and they ask a few questions, and then they memorize it. And while I was there, I kept meeting these guys that had entire books of the Bible memorized, which is crazy, right? Sometimes I struggle with memorizing one verse of Scripture, and some of these guys are quoting entire books of the Bible. What are we thinking about? What are we dwelling on? The simplest of ideas this morning is when we dwell more on what's written in this book, we will experience the peace of God more in our lives, especially if our minds are currently being tempted to dwell on things that are sinful. I was with a group of pastors recently. They were talking about different struggles in the church. How can we be praying for one another right here in Morgan County? How can we be praying for one another in our churches? What are the struggles? What are the sins that our churches are struggling with? How can we trust the Lord in this? And one of the guys shared that in his church, it's a couple of young men in their 40s. Not, I mean, young's just a number, right? Come on, like what, is, what is it's on the spec. Like how was young, youngish, right? Young. We had a lot of struggles when it came to things that they were looking at and viewing. Pornography, it entered into a couple of the congregations. They're trying to figure out how do we push back on that? We've got guys in their teens and 20s all the way up to guys in their 70s that have just struggled right now with what are they viewing? What are they saying? Same is true for many women. And so they started doing something. Well, some of these guys, they would say, the next time you're tempted to look at something, to dwell on something that isn't holy, go and get God's actual word, open it up and start reading it and intentionally memorize the text. So one guy came back two weeks later and they said, he asked the guy, said, you memorize any scripture in the last couple weeks? He said, yes, I've memorized the entire first two chapters of the books of Romans. He's like, wow, you're really doing this. He's like, right, because every, and it's a simple concept. Every time something would try to work its way into his mind, he would go and get the actual Bible and start going over it again and again and again until his church, until his mind was being renewed. What are we dwelling on? What are we thinking about? In my own personal life, there have been times when I'll start dwelling on something. It doesn't even have to be something like crazy sinful, but just something that gets off track a little bit of fully trusting in God's promises. Taking a little too much responsibility on my own. In my own little mind, sometimes I end up going to places inside here that aren't even real in real life because I'm not staying grounded in what God has said. Can we trust that God's word is truthful? I pray that we all can. If so, church, how much time are we devoting to memorizing, studying, and meditating on it? Are we dwelling and meditating on the words of God? It's amazing to me how in some of the most difficult moments of life, I don't know if it's from Sunday school lessons or just some miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, God's scripture just starts coming to mind. Isn't that crazy? The word just starts coming to mind. Because that's the thing that doesn't fade. It doesn't wither away. It stays forever. 
And Paul reminds the church in Philippi of that. What are you thinking about? Now, some of us, maybe we're new to church. We hadn't studied a lot of this stuff. Like, okay, I mean, a bunch of church people 2,000 years ago, how hard was their life? Yeah, their life was really hard. This was a group of people who were believing in Jesus and were not just being mocked for it. Some of them were being arrested for it. Even Paul himself, writing some of these words from prison. And yet he still says, but God's word is truthful. What are we dwelling on today? Second, what are we learning? Paul's willing to put his name on the line as a great teacher. Let's read in verses like, what does it say, verse nine there? What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. I asked my wife, who's a high school math teacher, like when it comes to Paul and some of these verses, how he taught, and she shared a few words. If you're a teacher, these will speak to you. She said, Paul's covering the visual, the auditory, and the hands-on learners, learners in his group. All right, people fall into different categories, right? You got some folks who are visual learners. You see it, you're going to memorize, memorize it. Others hear it. Others are more hands-on, need to actually work through it. Paul is doing something here where he's saying, seen, heard, practiced, received, in me, Dwell on those things, practice those things, and the peace of God will come into your life. He's willing to put his name on the line as an example of how to be a Christian, which is wild, right? When's the last time? And I'm not saying we need to just yet, but when's the last time we were telling somebody about who Jesus was, and in that conversation, we're able to say, hey, live like I'm living, and you will live more like Christ. In my life, I've had a lot of discouragement, as have many of you, from following the teachings of certain preachers or pastors or teachers that live a certain way for a while and then go by the wayside a little bit later on. That hurts, doesn't it? Some of us are still carrying some of the hurt from people that we were trying to follow in the example. Not saying we are the perfect example, that's Jesus, but y'all, Paul is clearly showing us how to be a teacher of his word here. He's saying dwell on certain things, think about certain things, and then live them out in such a way so that the people you're talking to, you can say, I'm actually trying my best here to live like Jesus. Paul's telling others to copy what they've heard and seen in himself. Personal example is an essential part of teaching. The teacher must demonstrate in action the truth which he or she expresses in words. The walk must match the talk. Whether you're a second grader like my youngest or you're a 75-year-old person, we can tell a difference, can't we, when the person that's trying to explain something to us really cares about what's going on and is just checking something off of a list? got to be lifelong learners. We've got to pay attention to our walk and our talk. Are we willing to put our names on the line when telling someone else about what it means to live a Christian life? Now, some people might say that's pretty difficult because being a Christian is difficult. It is. Which is why God's allowed us to be in those situations. I've shared this before, especially as a youth pastor a long time ago. Some of you guys are in high school or middle school, college. You know it's not going to be very effective in your high school chemistry class is if some random short preacher wearing loafers walked in and said, let me tell you about what it means to be a Christian, just following my example, right? I can do that and I can try, I can encourage, but I'm not going to be nearly as effective as a high school student who's sitting in a chemistry class saying, I'm following Christ too. Same thing in a college classroom. Same thing if you're on the, wherever God has placed us in that moment and say, Lord, allow me to be used by you to effectively show others what it means to follow Christ. Are we ever going to be perfect? Absolutely not. 
Are we to ever stop trying for perfection? No, y'all, the standard's perfection. God wants us to try and to push for that and to lead other people in that example. John MacArthur shared just six quick things. I'm just gonna run through these things kind of quickly when he was teaching on some of this about what it means to be a learner, right? What it means to be a learner and practicing how to experience contentment as we trust in the Lord together. He's got just six quick things here. He says, learn to give thanks in all things. We gotta learn how to do that. It's not gonna be natural at the end of a difficult day to immediately say, Lord, I thank you for today. That's not saying all things are good, but it's acknowledging that God is working all things in all things for the good. We've gotta learn how to rest in God's providence, learn how to trust that God really is God. He really is control. The song we sang as kids, some of us, he's got the whole world in his hands, really is truthful. And if he's holding the whole world in his hands, he can also hold us in his hands. Learn to be satisfied with little. I think many people struggle with this one. Most of us, even maybe today in our culture, think when I just get a little bit more, then the satisfaction, then the contentment will come. John D. Rockefeller was asked one time, how much money's enough? You're the wealthiest man in the country. And you remember his answer? Somebody that studied that? He said, just a little bit more, you know, just a little bit more. Not saying money's evil, because the scripture doesn't say money's evil, but it says the love of money is evil. Are we content with where we are right now? When my wife and I first got married in Covington, Georgia, we would go on Thursday nights to the Brown Bridge Kroger Shopping Center. Right next door to there was a Chinese restaurant, and we would get one combo meal to split because we were poor. And then we would go back to our house, and we'd watch an office episode live. It's a good life. In those times, sometimes you're sitting in an 800 square foot house and you're thinking what? Man, one day we're gonna get a bigger house. One day we're gonna get a car down Lake Oil. One day we're gonna, one day, one day, one day. God has blessed us more than we can ever repay him for, but we have also learned that if we are not able to give thanks and rest in who God is when we have been given little, y'all, you can be given a whole lot more and it's not gonna bring contentment or peace. Are we learning to be satisfied with little? It's a process. Are we learning to live above life's circumstances? Are we learning to be the type of people who on the best of days, we praise the Lord, we're resting in that. On the worst of days, we say, Lord, this has been a difficult one, a different season, difficult hour, difficult year. Story of Jesus and his disciples one day. Jesus feeds a whole lot of people. He goes up on a mountain to pray, sends his disciples out in a boat. Jesus, according to scripture, walks on water to meet with them because his disciples were so content and peace-filled and holy, they said, behold, it's the Lamb of God who comes. They didn't say that. You know what the disciples said when they saw Jesus walking on the water? It's a ghost, brother. Holy cow, it's a ghost. And Jesus said what? It ain't a ghost, y'all. It's me. And Peter, one of his closest disciples said, man, if it's really you, tell me to get out of the boat and come to you. And then Jesus actually did. He said, get out of the boat, smalls. Let's come on. And Peter got out of the boat and started walking on water. One of two people, according to any text I've studied, that have a literal account of walking on water, Jesus and Peter. What does Peter do? Probably in those first few moments is living well above life circumstances. You know what I mean? Like this is it. In that moment, the rest of the disciples in the boat are probably saying, I should have been like Peter. I should have, I should have spoken first. Peter always, you know. But then what does Peter do? In a quick, brief moment, he starts looking at the winds and the waves and very likely starts to say, yeah, does not make any sense? <laughs> I'm walking on water. That doesn't make sense. The winds and the waves are getting a little big and he begins to sink. And what does Jesus do? He sends his hand down and immediately picks him up and saves him. He says, oh, you have little faith. One example. As far as I know, most of us haven't walked on water. Anybody? Anybody ever tried it? 
tried a few times, I'm not gonna lie. I used to take my wallet and cell phone out, you know, but I haven't walked on water, but there have been times in my life where God has worked a miracle and I fully trusted in him and I know that he's calling me to do a certain thing and I start doing that certain thing and then I look around and see the circumstances becoming more clear. Sometimes we can allow life circumstances to push us off of the firm foundation of the contentment of God. God doesn't change. We've got to learn to rely on God's power. Learn to rely on God's provision. God wants us to plan. We're trying to do that well, but he also wants us to remember that he is God. He is able to do things that are impossible. We've got to learn to become preoccupied with the well-being of others. Look at all the words. Learn, 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 learn. Why? Anybody have, if anybody has kids or has been a part of raising some kids, Right now, I've got three kids, and they're all three on a break. Thank goodness, like from sports and stuff. But as my kids have gotten older, I'm not going to lie to you. It's confession time. This is the 11:30 service. Like when the kids were little, right? They get in the car after a little soccer game that's 12 feet long on the little field, and everybody's chasing the ball, right? And they're all it's like herding cats out there, and they get in the car, and what do we say? Because we're good parents, we're trying. Most of us. Man, that was great. I'm so proud of you. You're so special which is true, but as they get older, if we're good parents, I would hope that we want them to get better at the things that they're doing, right? So now if my 12-year-old gets in the car after a terrible baseball game, I'm not gonna belittle him and remind him of how terrible he is, but, but if he were to say, man, that's just not fair, that other team was so good, what is my job as a father? And I think in that moment, say, son, you probably need to practice a little bit more. You gotta put in a little bit more effort. You've gotta work on these things. I got one kid's learning how to play a trumpet. You ever been there? Like just, you gotta really work on that stuff. Why? Because if you don't, the sound's gonna always be the same. In any area of life, y'all, we have to learn and to practice to get better at it. Some of us may be saying, dear God, please give me contentment and peace, but we're not doing anything to learn about it or to practice it. And yet, what does Paul say in verse 9? What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Why? Because he knows that these things don't come easily. He knows that resting in God's provision and contentment isn't something that's natural for humanity. Someone we have to seek and work on and experience in Christ. Some of us may have learned the verse, Philippians 4.13, as kids, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Tim Tebow back in the day when I was in high school had those and he would usually put Philippians 4.13 right about here as a young guy who never played football. Sometimes I was like, God, you can give me the strength to be a superstar in football, right? Of course, this never panned out for me in that way. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I pray that we know this first, memorize this first. Some, one of the guys on the praise team has it on the bottom of his boot. His boots actually say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength on the bottom of his boots. But just as Jacqueline so beautifully said in the opening, she read scripture, Never just take one verse. Y'all, we gotta read in the context. You gotta open up and say, what is happening in this passage of scripture that some of us have memorized one verse from? Paul is saying here, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And some of us, in good reason, God can work the impossible, have started businesses from scratch by believing in this verse, have asked a girl to marry us by believing in this verse, have raised kids by believing in this Right? God can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But it's important to note, what is he writing in context with here? Being content. Right before this, in verses four to six, he says, I'll rejoice in everything. Let reasonableness be known to everyone. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God in the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding. I'm gonna guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I've learned to be content. What is he saying? He's saying, I can even do the impossible. Y'all, the guy was taking the Christian message into all of the world. But when he says, God will give me strength through Christ to do all things, he's saying that in reference to living in peace with the Lord, having a life of contentment with God. The rest of those verses, 10 to 13, you know, when we read about those, we remember that Paul says in verse 11, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I've been brought low and I know how to abound, but I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. When Paul's saying this word here, content, it's the only time in the New Testament he uses that word in the Greek. It's called autarkes. He uses this word, I believe, for a very specific reason. It's a word that was common in his day, just not common in Christian teaching. It was actually a, a pagan word. It was a word that was being used by a group called the Stoics, especially older folks like Socrates and different philosophers were using this often, saying autarkes, contentment, well-being, wholeness, being at peace. And Paul's pushing back against that because in their culture, they're saying and proposing that to eliminate all desire, contentment will only come to those who possess very little and want nothing. In some Stoic writings, they have, say, things like, if you want to make a man happy, add not to his possessions, but take away his desires. Socrates was once asked, who is the wealthiest man? He answered, he who is content, autarkus, with least. For he is nature's wealth. The Stoics believed that the only way to being content was to abolish all desire until a man had come to a stage when nothing was needed or wanted and he had no essentials left. The Stoics would say, in Paul's day, to the church where he wrote this letter, it would have been taught in their communities, I will learn to be content by a deliberate act of my own will. And yet Paul says, I will learn to be content for I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength to do so. The Stoic was self-sufficient. Paul was God-sufficient. Stoicism failed because it was rooted in an inhuman teaching. Christianity succeeded because it was rooted in the divine. So what's Paul doing? He's reminding us of the secret. What's the secret? The secret of contentment is being satisfied and being at rest with where God has you despite what is happening around you. It's not natural, it's not automatic, it must be learned. It's a gift from God. Allowing us to have the strength to do what only he can do through our lives. Isn't it amazing how sometimes in life it seems as though God doesn't come through until the very end, we don't have enough strength to just take one more step? Then he provides at just the right time. How can we rest in that? Y'all, Paul believed the things that he wrote for when he wrote these things, he had been in prison here. He had been in cities where people said, hey, you gotta stop telling people about this Jesus. And he told them, I can't. There's one story, they took him outside the city and they beat him unconscious, like he didn't have anything left. They thought he was dead. Took him out city and dumped his body. Sure enough, life started coming back, started regaining strength the same day. He picked himself up and continued teaching about who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. Why would he do that? 
Y'all, I truly believe it's because Jesus had radically changed his life, that he had experienced something that brought a peace that had not been found in anything else he had tried. And for him, it wasn't the sinful, crazy things that other people had tried. For him, it was the rules and the regulation and the legalism saying, I can make myself good enough. I can force myself. I can deem myself worthy. Until he came to the point where he met Jesus himself who said, you can't do that. Only God can allow these things to happen. So what does that mean for us today? If you're struggling with contentment or being at peace, know that God knows who you are. He knows what's on your mind and he's inviting you to come back into his presence to be honest with those concerns and struggles, to be with brothers and sisters of the faith who can walk with you. But to get to a place where we can hopefully honestly say, Lord, I'm not perfect. I'm not able to do this on my own, which is totally countercultural. But to be able to say spiritually, I have need here. And to trust that when we ask the Lord for help, he is faithful to deliver. Practice these things and God's peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your promises, for who you are, for what you've done. God, I thank you today for allowing us to have these words from Philippians, Lord, to remember that this is something you have been teaching for a very long time. In just a moment, Lord, as we sing a song that quotes, it is well with my soul. God, I pray, I I would hope that everyone hearing these words right now would say, man, everything is well with my soul today. Well, you know our hearts. You know that some things are not well with our souls. Help us, God. Help us be honest with those struggles and conversations, Lord. What if some of us have been dwelling on things that are sinful, that are not good for our minds or our eyes? May we repent of those things right now. Ask you to forgive us and commit to dwelling more on you. Lord, may we be honest with a brother or sister in the faith and say, hey, my mind's been going places it shouldn't go. So we can have a couple people around us to say, I mean, I'll pray with you. I'll walk with you. We'll study the scripture together. Help us to dwell on who you are and what you've done, Lord. Help us to learn what it means to follow in Christ's example. Lord, I pray that everyone here knows the peace that passes all understanding and knows what it is like to, Lord, to find rest in the Savior. I'm thankful for what Jesus has done, God. He was perfect never sinned, never fell. And yet you still allowed every sin of mine and every sin of every person that's ever lived to be taken off of us, Lord, and placed on him. While he was on the cross dying for the sins of the world, Lord, your word says he became the sins of the world. So that as he breathed his last, Lord, for those that believe in what Christ has done, our sins were crucified with him. Lord, we trust that there is nothing in all of creation that will ever be able to separate us from your love, which is ours through Christ Jesus, our Lord. For anything in our minds, Lord, anything that's vying for first place, anything that's trying to work its way in to being the main thing we dwell on and think about, Lord, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to dwell on Christ more. Help us to trust in you, Lord, for the strength it is needed to find the contentment so that our souls can be made well. We pray these things in Jesus' name.